Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Honestly, by show of hands, how many of you guys are and girls are, are just like you're you love Christmas. Christmas season is your season. Don't be ashamed, okay? You're in church, but I mean, so y'all are like, I love Christmas. Usually these are the people that have great Christmas memories as a kid, right? You, you remember those Christmas mornings and you might not have gotten everything you wanted to get. You might not have had a, a lot. Me and, my, me and my family, we didn't have a lot growing up. My mom did the best she could with me and my brother, but I knew that Christmas morning felt magical, didn't it? It just felt like you went to sleep and all of a sudden some creepy guy was in your house. And we love that feeling, right? When a creepy person's in your house throwing stuff under your tree. But at the end of the day, I mean, you were still excited because no matter what, whether, whatever you believe, you still were excited because it was magical. You just wanted something to happen and change. And when you woke up, yes, you were excited about the presents. But how many know if you have kids, the presents end about two hours later. And they're like, what else can we do? Do we have anything else to do? And you're like, really? All that anticipation, all those things. And you wake up. I love this. You wake up at like the crack of dawn, right? I remember waking up at like 4 o'clock. I would go to bed at 6 p.m. The only time I would go to bed early, right? And wake up at 4.45. And I'd be like, mom, let's roll. Let's go. presents are here. Let's, there's the tree is filled. How did that happen? You know, such a mystery how it happened. And, and we were just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So you'd run downstairs and you'd open the presents. And there was just this excitement that I just couldn't wait. And now having five kids of my own, I have kids that are ages from nine to one and a half. Y'all still pray for me, please. Um, nine to one and a half. And so they are super, super excited. They have that same anticipation and that joy to go to bed early, praise the Lord, and then to wake up super early. And I tell them just to go back to bed for a few more hours. But still, we, they wake up early and they're excited. And even leading up to the season, it is exciting. They just can't wait. And we're doing Advent in the, in the Reese family right now. We're doing Advent. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's just each day you're leading up to the birth of Jesus. And we have these little Advent cards that we read scriptures and we just sit with our kids. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, pastor's kids, they're all sitting there holy and you're preaching the word of God. And like, they're like this. Let me give you a really big snapshot into the Reese family real quick, okay? To make you parents feel a little bit better about where you're at, okay? Is that it's not, oh, they're like, oh dad, you're so wise and awesome. I can't wait to sit and listen to scripture. No, they're running around like crazy. One's like snotty nose, wiping on her sister. One's screaming, crying. I want snacks. When snacks? Is this over? Do we have to do this? And the other one's like hitting the brother. And then the other one's like, can we watch a show? And then one of them's spacing out, just like, where am I right now? And... And I'm preparing like it's a sermon. I got my Bible. I got everything. I'm like, let's open the word of God, you know, and they're not responding at all, but they're just excited. They can't wait. They just can't wait. There's an excitement about what is going on. And my little four-year-old, Judah, he says to me every single day for the past month, he goes, daddy. And I go, yeah, he goes, tomorrow's Christmas. I kid you not, every day he says, tomorrow's Christmas, I can't wait. And I was like, hey, buddy, tomorrow's not Christmas. I'm just going to let you know. And then the next day, hey, man, we're still a ways away from Christmas, okay? And then sure enough, he did it last night. Can't wait for Christmas. I said, it's not Christmas tomorrow, you know? But think about this for a second. 
One of these days in the near future, right, in the next couple days, he's going to be right. He's going to be right. He's going to go, Daddy, it's, it's almost Christmas. Tomorrow's Christmas. I'm going to go, you're right, buddy, right? You see, what makes the waiting bearable in that season is you know it's going to end. Think about it. We know when Christmas Day is, since all of us were born, we know when Christmas Day was. So no matter how much you had anticipation or excitement, you knew that on Christmas Day would be the culmination, the climax of that waiting period. And whether you were waiting for a toy, whether you were waiting for a miracle from God as a kid, whether you were hoping your parents were going to get back together, that's what you asked Santa for, or whatever it is, you waited that on that day was a culmination when things would come together, magic would happen, God would move, you would get everything you wanted, and the wait would be over. You see, it makes the waiting bearable when you know the end. It makes the waiting bearable. But my question to you is this morning, what if you didn't know when the waiting would end? What if, as the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia puts it, what if it was always winter but never Christmas? What would happen then? Because I don't know about you, I am not good at waiting. Anybody else like me right here? I am just like, I'm zooming past cars and traffic. I'm that guy, you're going, oh, you wanna go on the edge? I'm like, yeah, I wanna go on the edge. It's my car, if I wanna mess it up, I'll mess it up, right? But I'm not waiting, and, and, and I'm that guy, you know, and then I get irritated with the people too. I'm like, yo, you don't wanna wait either, you know? And we're all doing this thing. But, but think about it, when you know the ending, it makes the waiting bearable. But if you didn't know the ending, then the waiting just feels like suffering. And imagine this, I think this is what the first people of the first Christmas was like. Because no one knew that Jesus was coming. Yes, there were prophecies in old, but those were hundreds of years before. And no one knew that Christmas was coming. No one knew the birth of the Savior was coming then and there. And so imagine what they were going through. Because we all love Christmas morning, right? Except the people that had the first Christmas. Think about it for a second. Mary and Joseph inconveniently had to go back and take a census in Bethlehem in their hometown. They inconveniently had to go back. Not only that, she was pregnant at the time and she was almost about to have her child and they had to make, watch this, the 90 mile trek, y'all. 90 miles on foot from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and she was nine months pregnant on a donkey. Mary, I salute you. That is amazing. Think about, think about the, the fact that they weren't ready for that. And then when they got there, they didn't have a place to stay, did they? They're going, and they're going, really, God? You want us to go back here, and then there's no place for me to stay? They, then they got to go in a manger. And a manger, we all think it's like this uh, kind of chic barn. We're like, ooh, was there wood slats in there? No, there weren't, okay? It was essentially a cave. It wasn't a barn. It was a cave with a trough. And we, we think of like a stable, like a little manger. They're like, oh, laid baby Jesus in a manger. It was dirty and nasty, y'all. It wasn't posh or chic, right? It was gross, and they had to stay there. 
And they were there and they're going, really? This is, this is crazy. They weren't prepared for all that. And not only that, the shepherds in the field, they weren't prepared to be interrupted by an angel. They're going, I'm watching over these sheep. Do I have to go see the Savior? Do I really need to go do this? They weren't ready for him. They weren't waiting going, hey, one day the angel's going to come right there and then we're going to go over here. It's going to be awesome. They weren't ready for it. No one was prepared. The wise men weren't prepared when they see a, a giant star and then the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, I want you to follow that star where you're gonna see a king. And they're going, we weren't ready for this. This isn't the right time because no one was prepared. It was a silent night, but not in a good way. They were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Not just because the Bible tells us, but matter of fact, the Bible doesn't really tell us they were waiting. But if you know your Bible, it's broken up into two, two pieces. You have the Old Testament, before Jesus came, New Testament, when Jesus came. And at the end of the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. If you're Italian, it's Malachi, but it's Malachi, okay? And then you have the first book of the gospel, which is Matthew. Now imagine this. What happened between Malachi and Matthew? You see, in, our, in, in my book, I just turn and it's one page. I just flip the page over. When I'm going from Old Testament to New Testament, I'm going to before Jesus to when Jesus came. I just flip the page and I'm going, they, that was no time at all. They had to wait like a page. That's easy, you know. It's not what it was like. You know what this one page represents? 400 years of silence. 400 years that they believed that God didn't move, didn't speak, no new prophecies, no new revelation. They didn't hear a word from God for 400 years. 400 years, God went silent. And they waited and waited and waited and waited. I know at some point in our lives, all of us have our own page of waiting. Where it feels like it's silent and God's not moving, not speaking. That it just doesn't feel the same. For some of you, this page may be you're waiting for that spouse. God, when are you gonna, I see everybody else getting married around me. Why can't I get married? Why can't I find the right one? Is something wrong with me? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you speaking? Some of you are waiting for a son, that prodigal son or daughter to come back that has gone off and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting going, God, I pray for him every day. Do you not hear me? Do you not care? Is there something wrong with me? And some of you are waiting for the cancer to be healed. You're tired. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you feel like God has abandoned you and left you and you're, in the, you're living between Malachi and Matthew and you're wondering when the Savior is gonna rescue you, when your knight in shining armor is gonna come, when all of a sudden hope is gonna come back. God is going to speak. He's going to move and it's going to be clear. But this page right here is probably one of the hardest seasons that we will ever go through. Going, God, can you provide a job for me? I thought you could do anything, but you won't do it for me. God, there's no money in the bank. What are we going to do? We're waiting and just waiting, God. Tell me what to do. And you feel like it's just a silent night. 
and you're trying your best, you're trying to praise God, you're trying to keep a strong face on, you're trying to renew your faith every day, and it just feels like nothing. Silent. Silent. You feel like it's always winter, but never Christmas. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're going, God, where are you? And it feels like the prayers that you speak, the cry at night, it never, never ceases. I would think the people that were living between Malachi and Matthew for the 400 years, I think they would know a little bit about what you're going through. When it feels like the darkest of nights, And I don't care if you're a pastor, a bishop, a priest, or you don't know Jesus at all. Let me tell you something. Every one of us will go through a period of of the darkness of night. When it feels like God isn't moving, God is silent, he isn't speaking, and it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And you're going, God, did you go on a vacation? (laughs) Did you take a break? Is your Sabbath lasting a little longer than it should, God, right? And you're going, where are you? Can I encourage you this morning that God is not like a man right before Christmas where you forgot to get a present for your wife, okay? And you're scrambling to go get something at Home Depot. Okay? Don't make that mistake again, okay? Home Depot is not the place you need to shop for your wife. God didn't forget. He's not going like, oh, Susie's waiting. Oh, I didn't know that. Let me go get something real quick and then try to fix it all up. God's not like that. How do you know that? Because he's never waiting. He's always orchestrating, y'all. God's never waiting. He's always orchestrating. We might be waiting, but if we're waiting... That means he's orchestrating. It's like, think about this. It's like a maestro in a big symphony. If you just take one note out of it, what happens? You hear it and you're going, oh, that sounds okay. Like, yeah, I don't really get it. But all of a sudden, when all the notes come in and when all the instrument, instruments come in, it creates this amazing symphony of sound that can't be done with just one thing. Because remember, you pray one thing and God is moving a, a million different things. Not to make your prayer happen, but to make his plan and purpose happen, y'all. Not to take you away from your suffering, though we want that at times, but to show you there is joy in the suffering, joy and peace in the waiting. But how many know waiting can be really difficult? Just because I know God is orchestrating doesn't make the waiting any easier. It doesn't make it any more bearable. So I want to do this. I want to look at some scriptures this morning, and I want to give you encouragement. I want to empower you and not just give you some application, things to apply to your life, but I want to give you an empowerment, maybe an impartation from the Holy Spirit in the waiting seasons. What do I do in the waiting? What do I do in the waiting? And whether you're in a waiting season or not, you will go through it. So my encouragement to you is to take it all in today so you can be, be prepared for tomorrow. 
because God wants to teach you something this morning. So three thoughts I want to give you, and we're going to look at some scriptures, and then we'll close. Number one, what do I do? The first thing I do, trust God's timing more than your desire. Trust God's timing more than your desire. If you heard a, a few weeks ago, if you can go back on our podcast and, and you can look at it, Pastor David preached an amazing message and he used the scripture that Paul used to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter four, where Paul is really describing what it was like when Jesus came. And here's what he says in verse four. I love this version. It says, but when the right time came, everybody say right time. Everybody say right time. Not your time or my time, the right time. When the right time came, God sent his son into the world. A woman gave birth to him and he came under the control of the laws given to Moses. And God sent him to pay for the freedom of those who were controlled by these laws so that they would be adopted as his children. So watch this. There was a plan in place to adopt us as children, but it had to be the what? The right time. Not your time, not my time, not my plan, not your plan, but in order for an adoption to happen, God had to say, I have to orchestrate these things so that this can happen and it's gonna be the perfect time. And let me say this again, it's almost never our time, amen? It's never our time. I want it now, God says, but you can't handle it now, I'll give it to you later. And I'm like a screaming little baby, but I want it now, right? That's what you want to say. But God goes, I want to show you something. Michelle and I have experienced a season like this before. And for us, many of you know, we have five beautiful kids. It wasn't always like that. It was very confusing for a long time because we were married and we set a five-year plan of going, let's not have kids for five years, let's grow a great foundation and friendship before we begin entering kids into the equation where kids will divide you if you're not careful. They are sometimes the enemy, okay? We understand that. They're great. They're a blessing from the Lord, but they can be a hindrance. And so sure enough, we stuck to that five-year plan. Well, three years into that five-year plan, Michelle and I turned to each other. We just go, we feel like it's time. We were with the saints at that time. And, uh, Sure enough, we go, okay, this is great. Let's, let's start having it. And you expect it to be just like, duh, this is just, you have a kid and you're done. Like, duh, this is how you do it. You're and you just, you keep going. Didn't work like that for us. Our plan was right away, we're gonna have a kid and that's gonna be great and the Lord's gonna bless us and it's gonna be. And so one month went by and it didn't happen. Two months went by, it didn't happen. Six months, a year, two years go by, we still can't have kids. Now talk about a season where it feels like it's silent. I'm not just, I'm desiring children, but I can't even hear from God at that point. Because it feels like, you know, when you, you, you just, you're longing for something, it feels like everyone around you has it but you, right? You're just going like, oh gosh. And then I, I click on the TV, you know, and this is when you could flip through channels at this time, you know, back 12 years ago. And we were flipping through channels and we stop on MTV. I'm not even sure that's a channel anymore, right? And we see this, just this weird show. I'm like, what is this, 16 and pregnant? And I'm going, really, God? Really? We want to build an army. They didn't want to get pregnant. What are you doing, right? And you're going, what's, what's, what's happening here? We want to raise our kids in a godly home and, and give them Jesus. And then they're going, I don't even know if I want my kid right now. I'm going, really, God? Like, what's going on? 
And the devil is in that, y'all. The enemy is in that to try to compare you to somebody else to steal your joy in the waiting. And so I'll, we were there and it was so frustrating and we had some friends that were walking through, it, through us with us and they were praying for us. And I remember one night, in 2010, we went through in vitro, we went through all the fertilization stuff. And the hard part is, y'all, nothing was wrong with either one of us. It would be different if there was something wrong with me or Michelle. Doctor said it's unexplained infertility. I said, don't tell me that. Give me a reason. At least make me feel better. At least let me explain it so I don't feel like I'm hanging out here on my own. And it was one of the most frustrating periods and the darkest periods of our lives. And I remember hearing my wife say to one of our family friends, and she said, I, don't, I feel like I'm never going to be a mom. And that's when, like, as a man, as a husband, she lost hope. And when I overheard that, I took her hands, and I said, Let's, we can't lose hope now. We can't lose hope in the darkest night. And so that night, we just laid all of our control, all of the things that we desired down, and we just said, God, we trust your timing. We trust your timing. Well, if you back up a couple months when the fertility treatments didn't work, Michelle ended up getting sick and had to go back on birth control, which is like one step forward, 90 steps back. And as we prayed, as she was on birth control, as we prayed together, God said, I'm gonna do it in my timing and not your timing. I'm gonna do it in my ways and not your ways. Sure enough, the month we were on birth control, Michelle got pregnant. And we found out on Christmas Day. Miracle. And watch this. And then God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Not just one, but five, okay? <laughs> but can I just tell you, I believe God didn't want to just give us kids. He wanted our complete trust in his timing. And it doesn't always come out with a happy ending. Can I just be honest with you, right? It doesn't always come out with a happy ending, it doesn't just come out the way that we want it all the time, but God knows the right time because you may not be able to handle it in this season. So he goes, I'm gonna have to grow your character and maturity, and I know if I can trust you with little, I'm gonna be able to trust you with much. And that's difficult at times, isn't it? It's difficult to wait in those seasons, but God knows the right timing. Look at me, you hear what Pastor Jacob spoke about last week in Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John, that she, was, she, she couldn't have children, and that all of a sudden, Zechariah is like, oh my gosh, we're having a baby, this is, this is amazing, but we're, we're older. It was the perfect time, because if John would have came any earlier, he would have been the forerunner for Jesus. If John would have came afterwards, he would have missed Jesus altogether. You see, God knows the perfect time because he's orchestrating a plan that is not our plan. And it is the best plan. It is a perfect plan. He knew when to send Jesus. Joseph and Mary weren't expecting that, but they had to trust God's timing. The Jewish people didn't expect a savior like he came. They had to trust God's timing, and it was the perfect timing to send a savior. Why was it the perfect timing, Pastor Chris? History tells us it was perfect. 
I've wrestled with this before. Why didn't Jesus come in the 2000s when we had cell phones, right? We could have videoed him. We could have YouTubed it. We could have snapped it. He could have, Jesus could have been dancing on Snapchat. You know, he could have been doing a TikTok. He could have been like, why didn't we could have, we could have spread the gospel everywhere, change and transform lives. Why did he, why did he have to come then? Well, if we look at history, when the Greeks came and they took over the Middle East, what ended up happening was this. They united the Middle East under one language. Never before had it happened. Everyone spoke one language. And they believed in an open belief system, which means you can bring your beliefs. They were open to other, other interpretations of what was happening around them. So you had one language and other beliefs. Then when the Romans took over the Greeks, watch this, they created highways. The most, the most amazing highway and traveling system had never been done before. They connected cities that had never been connected before. So watch this. So now you have one language with open beliefs and a highway to get around. It was the perfect time to spread the news of Jesus Christ. It was perfect timing. History declared that it was perfect time and God orchestrated it. And let me just encourage you, if he knows the right time to send a savior, y'all, he knows the right time to answer your prayer. He knows the right time to answer your prayer. And sometimes the answer no is still an answer, y'all. Sometimes the answer not yet is still an answer. It's just not the answers we wanna hear. It's not the answers we wanna hear. But we have to trust in God's timing more than what we desire, more than what we're wanting. Even if what we're wanting is good and pleasing to God, we trust his timing. The second thing is this, write this down. We don't just trust, but we believe. Believe God's promises, not your perception. How many know our eyes and our feelings can be re really misleading, amen? Really misleading, we don't do a good job of interpreting the times around us, especially when, we have, when we're in a dark season, especially when we're in a waiting season. And this is where we pull out, watch this, the promises of God. Why do we do that, Pastor Chris? That sounds like a very pastoral thing to say or a very Christianese thing to say. We do that because, watch this, there is power in the promises of God. There is power when you stand upon the promises of God. This is why we encourage you, listen to me, to go through this discipleship book with someone else. Why? Because literally it forces you to open your Bible and grow a deeper relationship with God where you can begin to go, I remember reading that God will never leave me or forsake me. Even though I feel alone, even though it seems like I'm alone, God said I'm never alone. And so we reinforce the promises and it allows us to have the power to keep moving forward when we want to just stop and give up, y'all. When we want to stop and just wait. And listen to me right now. Mary dealt with this and she probably did a better job than anyone else with it when she was told that she was going to be bearing the savior of the world. And here's what Gabriel says to her in Luke chapter one, verse 35. Be encouraged by this. Gabriel answered her, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and God, almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. And this is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Pause for a second. Before we get to verse 36, listen here. I want you to pay attention to this. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel gives her an example of the power of the promise of God. 
He gives her an example to encourage her. Listen to me now. God will give somebody in your life to encourage your faith. You can decide whether you want to be jealous of their faith or you want to be motivated by their faith. And too many people are looking over going, well, Charlize doesn't know what I'm going through. And God moves in her, that's fine. But I, I just don't have the faith like that. There's no time to be jealous. This is the time to go, God, it's like the Weight Watchers commercial where you can go, I lost 42 pounds in three days. You know, no one does that. No one does that, right? But, but all of a sudden we click it on, we're going, oh, if you did it for him, you can do it for me, you know? But this is like a real example of Gabriel going, I want to help motivate your faith. So I'm going to tell you about Elizabeth who you're related to. Here's what he says, verse 36. What's more, your aged aunt, Elizabeth, has also become pregnant with the son. The barren one, pause. Please don't call anybody the barren one. No one wants that nickname, okay, the barren one. The barren one is now in her sixth month. And listen to this, verse 37. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God, y'all. Come on. Nothing is impossible with God. So Gabriel's motivating her, going, I want to show you an example of your relative who she thought she couldn't have a baby, and now look, she's in her sixth month, meaning she's far surpassing. She's about to have John. And so Gabriel's going, I want to show you that my track record and the track record of the God that you serve is reliable and credible. You can trust it. You can believe in the promise. When I say you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the savior of the world, you can trust that. Listen to me. If Gabriel's telling Mary that, when he tells you I'll never leave you or forsake you, I'm going to take care of my plan and your life for your purpose, I'm telling you, you can trust that. You can trust that. You can have the power to continue on when we trust that because here's what Mary responded to. Verse 38, then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. And as his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. We can only imagine what Mary was seeing and feeling at that moment. But I'm telling you right now, when Gabriel put someone in her life, listen to me, that showed faith, it was not to make her jealous. It was to move her faith. Some of us, the reason we talk about this gold book right here is because we want people to motivate your faith. I just, I'm gonna do this by myself. I love the gold book, it's discipleship, and I like discipleship. I wanna follow Jesus, but I wanna do it by myself. It's not possible. It's, you, you're gonna grow in knowledge, but we want you to grow in spirit, not just knowledge. And it takes you going, I don't know how to do this. Guys, I'm looking at you. That's hard for us. I know how to do anything. I can build an Ikea desk. I don't even have to look at it. I know how to build an Ikea desk without looking at the instructions. Yeah, guess what? You need to look at the instructions. And this is why we walk with other people to help motivate our faith, to, to, to help us in that. There is power in the promise. There is power in the promise that motivated Mary to say, I'm your servant, whatever you need. Watch this. Compare this to how Zechariah did it. If you remember last week, Pastor Jacob talked about Zechariah, and he, he just goes, God, show me a sign. Show me a sign. And Gabriel's like, really? Okay, you want a sign? You're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. Because you didn't believe, I'm not going to do it. So watch this. Zechariah wanted a sign. 
And he got a sign because he didn't believe and he didn't believe in the promise of God. But Mary believed and she got a son. The question is, do you want a sign or do you want a son? Do you want something that's going to bring you joy? That's going to go, man, I believe you no matter if it's weird the way it's going to come to pass. Or do you go, God, but I just need a sign. If you're asking for a sign, you probably won't get one. Or if you get one, that's going to be all you're going to get. But if you're wanting a son to go, God, I believe you. I trust in your promises. There's power there for you today. There's power there for you today because God may be silent, but he's not stagnant, y'all. He's always moving. God may be silent, but he's not stagnant. And we don't need to be either. We need to press in to the promise of God so we can, we can have the power to continue on. Some of you just need some empowerment right now. But you have to step out and believe. You have to step out and believe. And so we trust. We trust in God's timing. We believe in God's promises. Number three, we're going to close here, is we seek God, not the solution. I'm going to say it again. We seek God in the waiting and not the solution. I've made this error way too many times because I'm a fixer. And so as a fixer, it's really difficult for me to wait and to seek God before I start going towards a solution. And I almost missed the call of God on my life if it wasn't, if it wasn't for God. In 2014, I had just finished playing in the NFL. I was traveling around the country as a motivational speaker. And in February of 2014, my, my buddy called, who is in Lafayette, Louisiana, and he said, hey, will you come to our church? We're having football Sunday. And we usually invite former players in, or players, and they come in and they just share their testimony. Would you come in there? The first thing I asked was, where's Lafayette, Louisiana? I have no idea. And I said, okay, you want me to come share, share my testimony? Yeah, sure. So we, me and my wife flew down with our kids, and we just said, okay, let's, let's do this. And so we stayed with, with our friends, and I came up here in February 2014, and, and for five minutes, only five minutes, I stood on the stage right here, and I shared my testimony. And, and then I go back afterwards, and I'm signing right there in the lobby. I'm signing autographs. I'm, I'm you know, signing our shaking hands, kissing babies. It's pre-COVID. You can kiss babies then. You can't kiss babies now. But then we were doing all those things, and I, I was just going, hey. And then Pastor Jacob, if you know our senior pastor, man, one of the things he has, he has a bold faith. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed by his faith. He motivates my faith. He gives me courage. And because he walked up to me, just dead in the face, he walked up to me right afterwards. He goes, you want a job here? I was like, no, I don't know, even know where I'm at right now. No. Why would I, why, why would I want, I don't know where I'm at. I lived in Georgia at the time. Me and my wife were in Georgia. We had our family there, a house there, everything. So like we were established and, and he just goes like, I just want you to pray about it. And I'm just thinking about like, yeah, right. I'm not praying about coming here. I don't want to come here. And, and he's like, yeah, go, just go pray about it. And then they go. And so I go, okay. And I, I went back and we're packing to go to the airport the next morning. And, and I just look over at my wife and I was like, hey, uh, yeah, he, he offered us a job. He wanted us to come down here for a job. And she goes, oh, I'm just, that's a really bougie laugh. My wife, my wife does not laugh that way, I promise you. But that just sense there was like, oh, we are not coming down here, you know. And, and that's how I felt too. I was like, oh, and we, and so sure enough, we were like, we're not going to pray about this. This is done. And so God had a different plan. And so we're, we're packing our, our bags and all of a sudden, that night, I see on my phone 
it says, I get a text that says, flight canceled, freezing in Lafayette. I'm going, okay, golly, okay, flight canceled, I'll have to stay here. So we stayed another night. The next day, we went out to eat with Pastor Jacob and saw the community a little bit more, and God began soft, softly opening my heart up, and then, and sure enough, and then we're packing our bag the next night, and I get a text on my phone, freezing still in Lafayette, flight canceled again. And I'm like, oh gosh, there we go again. And so then we, we unpack our stuff and we go out again with Pastor Jacob and see the community and just go, okay, cool. And then sure enough, the next night we're packing up again, two flights canceled. Packing up again, freezing still in Lafayette for some reason, flight canceled. Three times God froze over Lafayette so I could stay here, y'all. Yeah. I believe that. It probably wasn't just for me, but it felt like it, right? But I think what God was showing me was he was teaching me what to do when you're faced between a problem and the person of Jesus. You see, you're going to want to fix the problem, and my way of doing it was going, how do I find a flight out of this place? There's nowhere to go. I mean, Baton Rouge, nothing. It's too small of an airport. Uh, New Orleans, too far to drive, right? Houston, too far. I'm like, there's no flights anywhere, and I'm sitting there on the phone just going, I'm calling everybody that I know, trying to get out so I could get back to Atlanta when God wanted to teach me to seek him so that he could help teach me that he has a bigger plan and purpose for my life. And listen to me, I'm no one special. He wants to do that for all. He will freeze over every airport so that you will come and seek him first and not the, not the solution. He loves us that much. He loves us that much. But we have the choice in those waiting seasons when it's so silent, you can hear a pin drop to go, how do I find a way out of this? My financial situation, right? The infertility, the kids that are going absolutely wayward. How do I find a solution to this problem? And God is waving his arms going, I'm right here. Do not seek the problem. Seek the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, is he, he going to answer my prayers? Is he going to have all the answers? I'll tell you this right now. He might not answer your prayers, but he definitely has all the answers. He definitely. So listen, we have a choice in those times to, to decide what we are seeking. We have a chance to say, I am not wavering from seeking God. And it doesn't mean you don't figure out. Listen to me. It doesn't mean you don't figure out a solution. It doesn't mean that you stay in a bad spot. Well, Pastor Chris told me I'm just going to seek God. and I'm the, No, 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 no. I'm just saying what you seek first usually is where your heart's going to be. Do you trust in what you do or do you trust in what God is going to do? And oftentimes, God leads us to a solution. Matter of fact, he did this to Joseph. Joseph was going, I'm betrothed to this woman, Mary, and guess what? She's pregnant. Oh, gosh. And he was a righteous man. The Bible says he didn't want her to get stoned or get killed. So what did he do? He's like, I'm just going to divorce her really quietly. Now, Joseph was trying to seek a way out of this problem, right? He's going, I want to get out of this. This is weird. I want to do this. Here's what ends up happening. Matthew chapter one, and we're going to close. It says, while he, this is Joseph, was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep 
and had a supernatural dream. And an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of, of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb and she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Savior for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. God stepped in and redirected his life and said, you're seeking the wrong thing, seek me. Now, I wish, listen to me, I wish God would always either freeze over an airport or appear to us in a supernatural dream, amen, and just tell us what to do. Can I be honest? It doesn't usually happen like that. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Many times it's probably in between. He wants to teach us to seek him at a time when it feels like we want to seek the solution. And many times if you don't learn it in that season, God will keep allowing you to repeat it. Listen to me. Repeat it in that season. And it doesn't become a season then. Watch this. It becomes a cycle. Some of you are stuck in cycles when you should just be in seasons. Because a season will end. There will be light in the morning. But a cycle, if you let it happen, continues to go round and round. Round and around. And God, listen to me, God wants to encourage you in this moment to willingly seek him. Is it difficult? Absolutely. But I believe that David penned a psalm that would encourage us in the moments of our waiting because David knew what it meant to wait. How do I know that? Because he got anointed by Samuel at 13. Listen to me. He, as king, he didn't get the kingdom until 30, y'all. Talk about a long season. Some of y'all have been anointed, but guess what? Your season hasn't come yet. And the waiting, God wants to grow and disciple you and make sure that your character can carry the gift that's upon your life. But until you realize that, he won't move in your life. But that's why we seek him and him alone. And we move. And here's what David penned in Psalm 27. Here's what he says. He says, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. Look up at me right now. Everyone eyes on me. I know God is speaking in here. Don't lose hope. I know it's difficult. Do not lose hope. Because the same God that had the perfect timing to send his son Jesus has the perfect timing to answer your prayer. And what's going to help us with that in this Christmas season is to remember what Christmas is all about. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? Christmas reminds us, listen to me here, that God has not forgotten about us. 400 years of silence, and God shows up in an instant. He hasn't forgotten about us. You might feel like you're living between Malachi and Matthew, but he hasn't forgotten about you. Christmas is a reminder to keep going. Don't be impatient. Be entwined with him and watch what he is going to do in this next season. In this next season, we just have to trust. Trust, believe, and seek him and watch what God will do. Because 
Jesus didn't come just to come. He came for you and for me. And if anything, it shows the depth that the Father will go to, watch this, to get you and me. I love this quote by theologian Frederick Buechner. Here's what he said. It's kind of lengthy, but it's worth it. And then we'll pray. Here's what he says. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go to what, or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend to in his wild pursuit of man. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in the least auspicious of all these events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong. And just where we least expect him, that he comes most fully. There's no death that God won't go to. And Christmas reminds us that a savior in a dirty manger becomes, grows up and becomes the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He will go to any depth to capture your heart. So Father, this morning, we thank you. We thank you that we can trust you, believe in you, and seek you in the waiting, God. We know it's not easy and there are people here who have been waiting and waiting and waiting and Lord, right now I cry out for them and I intercede for them in the name of Jesus. Do something special, God. Speak to them. And I'm praying that Lord, as you're speaking this morning, there are so many in the waiting period, God. And you're a good father. You give good gifts. Anytime I make my kids wait, God, I know that they're going to get something great in the end. They just have to wait for it, Lord. So we patiently await what you have for us. Lord, the outside circumstance is not going to dictate my internal perspective, Lord. I'm not going to let, we're not going to let the government dictate whether I, I wait patiently for you, God. I'm not going to let what's happening in this world dictate what, the way that we wait for you, God. We trust in your promises, God. We believe in what you have for us. We trust in your timing, God. We seek you and you alone. And we know, God, through this Christmas season, it's not about the, just the birth of a son. It's about the birth of a savior, Lord, who goes and becomes the king of kings and the Lord of lords to tear down our shackles, God, of, sl of slavery of sin, God, knowing you are with us and you are for us, God. So for my brothers and sisters this morning, God, whether they're listening on a podcast or they're watching online or on a television show or they're right here, God, you're speaking and moving in their life. You're giving them hope. Breathe on them, Holy Spirit. Breathe on them, Holy Spirit. Allow yourself to whisper in their hearts, God, and encourage them as they walk out these doors. For we know, God, your timing is best, that your promises have power, and that you are the only one that holds the answers. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, this morning, there are many people here that you celebrate the Christmas season, you celebrate baby Jesus. And we believe that baby Jesus came, but we have a tough time believing Christ as our Savior. Because it's much easier 
to worship a, a warm and fuzzy baby than it is to worship a man who died on a cross for our sins. The warm and fuzzy baby doesn't cost anything, but to radically follow Jesus costs you everything. But what it costs us pales in comparison of what God gives us. He gives us hope, peace, joy, not just heaven, but a place in a family and in the kingdom of God that's moving and will last forever. And this morning, I'm not asking you if you want to get to heaven. I'm asking you, do you want to commit your life to Jesus? The Bible clearly says in Romans, it says, you might confess with your, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Some of you have been in your church all your life, but you've never really committed your life to Jesus. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity. And you're saying, I'm going all in for Jesus because he went all in for me. How do I do that, Pastor Chris? As simple as A, B, C. A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a savior. None of us can do it. We can't have a relationship with God without admitting that we are sinners and we can't get to God on our own. B, believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, past, present, and future sins. And then see confessing him, not just as Savior, but as Lord, meaning he is King of Kings. He controls every aspect of my life, from my finances all the way through to my relationship with my kids and my spouse. He controls everything. And this morning, I want to give you that opportunity to commit your life to Jesus, to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so in just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're not... You're not saying, you're not not going, I'll pray a magical prayer over me. No, you're saying, Pastor Chris, include me in the prayer today because I want to commit my life to Jesus. You are raising your hand by faith and by faith in Jesus Christ alone, he saves you. So this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. So on the count of three, if you're here this morning, you go, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to be saved. I'm going to give you that opportunity. One, It's not a mistake you're here. God brought you here for this reason, for a time such as this. Two, he has great plans and a purpose for your life. All it takes is a commitment, a surrender to him. Three, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand at me. Thank you, I see you, thank you, thank you. Awesome, thank you, I see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful, awesome. You can put your hands down. Last 30 seconds, one more opportunity. If you raise your hand once, you don't have to raise it again. But if you're going, Pastor Chris, I should have raised my hand. I want to commit my life to Jesus, become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. I want you to raise your hand right now. No hesitation. Anyone else? Thank you. I see you. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, church, with all those that raise your hand, we're not going to leave them alone. We're going to pray this prayer together. So repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my father 
Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning.